Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Blaze Experience once again. You are joining us for episode 108 today, and I'm your host, Derek, as always. Today, we are back to talk more Civilization VI. We did a preview podcast for this game before it came out to Xbox, and now that it's out on console, uh, I've played it a little bit, my guest has played it, and we kind of have our initial thoughts on it. So basically, today's episode is going to be Introduction to Civilization VI. Uh, by no means am I or my guest today an expert in this game yet, because there's a lot to learn with this game, and you're going to uh, find that out when we start talking about it, but um, we've at least learned the basics enough that we can, you know, play a game and have fun with it. But when you first jump in, it is pretty daunting, so we will have to go over that and um, kind of help you out when you know, getting started. But before we do that, just some news at the top of the show here. Our next stream on Mixer.com slash Blaze Experience is going to be Dead by Daylight. We're going to stream that on Sunday. It's going to be 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. Then on Monday and Tuesday, we're also streaming Dead by Daylight, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. So basically, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, 12 to 4 is Dead by Daylight. And then on Friday, it's going to be Friday the 13th. So why not play Friday the 13th the game? So that's going to be our first time ever trying it. We're going to play that 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern. And that's going to be um, this coming Friday. So, um, you know, it's similar to Dead by Daylight in some ways. I thought it was you know, kind of fitting that we uh, play Dead by Daylight and then try that as well. I've never tried it, but I've seen people stream it, so I kind of get the concept a little bit, but we'll try that out on the 13th. So that's Dead by Daylight, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, 12 to 4, and Friday the 13th, the game on Friday the 13th, 1 to 5. Our next podcast, I'm honestly not sure what it's going to be at this time, um, but I will definitely have something in the pipeline, and... That being said, we can introduce our guest here. He was here for the last Civ 6 podcast. So please welcome back my frequent stream companion and frequent podcast companion now too. Please welcome back Zombie Killerma. How are you, Zombie? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm ready to talk some more Civ 6. You know, I've been loving Civ 6 uh, when it wants to work. You know, this had some bugs in there, but <laughs> besides the bugs, uh, I love it. <laughs> Hey, I mean, it's making its transfer from PC, so there's obviously, it's going to have bugs, but it's been running pretty smoothly uh, from what I've played anyway, so. Yeah, it seems like there's a bug when you play multiplayer only, pretty much. Like, when I host a game on multiplayer, I have, like, this weird, crazy black streak bug. Like, I don't even know how to describe it, Zombie. Like, maybe you can describe it better than I can, but, like, it's like black lightning shoots across my screen, and, like, you can't even see anything. Yeah, um... I don't know the actual term for that, but all I know is that it just, like, blocks up the whole screen and has a risk of, like, <laughs> those those black lines usually, when it comes to, like, a game or anything, usually means it has a chance of corrupting your game. So, oh, nice, nice. But you play it on multiplayer. <laughs> you play it on multiplayer, so it can't really corrupt anything, can it? True, true. So. Yeah, and then when Zombie was hosting a game, it was working better, but the other day we tried to stream it, and... It didn't exactly work out for us because uh, we couldn't actually connect to each other for like longer than five minutes. Yeah. Again, so British uh, internet's yeah. better. Just saying. <laughs> so you know, but if you can actually connect in multiplayer, it's a lot of fun. Um, single player would be a lot of fun too. I haven't done a whole lot of single players. Haven't had time, but um, it's been a lot of fun so far. But I will definitely say, without a shadow of a doubt. 
this is way, way, way more complicated than Civil Revolution. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Your mind's gonna go everywhere, quite, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's so much to keep track of, and we're just gonna talk the base game mostly today. I mean, um, I know you've gotten to the DLC a little bit, Zombie. I haven't played the DLC yet, but the DLC makes it even more complicated. Oh yeah, yeah, it definitely does. I mean, you know, the DLC, I know you have, like, um, you can have floods and things like that, which, you know, that, that's crazy to think about, too, so. Yeah, loyalty systems, ugh, god. Don't get me started on it. We'd have to add an extra hour if we were going to talk about that, bloody hell. But, for the uninitiated, what is Civilization Zombie? What is this franchise about? Um, this franchise is about, basically, it's a strategy game. Where you take on world leaders from countries all across the world, um, and they're all historic leaders. So, like for example, I'll just make an example: who we're currently playing as our in our multiplayer game, like Cleopatra of the Egyptians. I kind of everybody knows Cleopatra, so yep. fair enough. She's the leader of the Egyptians. It doesn't go off of present time because if it was, that I would always want to play the Americans because you know Donald Trump sometimes. But <laughs> but yeah. Uh, the Americans have someone completely different from Civilization Revolution. But this whole game, essentially, is just about um, making your civilization thrive in different ways to win the game. Like, there's four different ways if you play the base game of winning. Uh, five if you include the DLC. Um, yeah, and basically you uh, are taking this leader. You're starting from wherever you want to start, and there's different eras. There's uh, ancient era. There's, you know, classical era. Um all the way to, like, modern era, information era, future era. So, basically, you can start in whatever era you want to start in. And uh, if you start in a higher era, what the game will do is give you, like, free stuff at the start of the game. So, like, for example, it'll give you free settlers, um, free troops. You know, it'll give you enough for, like, you know, okay, like, make three cities right away because you have three settlers. Or um, it'll give you, like, access to different techs right away if you start in a higher era. So it really depends on you. Um, it kind of is a speed thing a little bit. Like, if you want to, you know, get a game done quicker, you can start in a higher era. But basically what you're doing is taking a civilization, like Zombie said, from whatever area you're starting in to the end of the game, which is like, you know, kind of um, like the end of, I guess, history is what it's supposed to simulate. And you're taking the civilization to a certain victory type. So um, we can kind of get into those victory types first. Before we get into like kind of some base stuff about the game, um, the victory types that you have are you have a religious victory, you have a culture victory, you have a science victory, you have a diplomatic victory in the DLC, and then you of course have the classic domination victory. And Zombie and I have tried a couple of these out. Um, in the game we played on stream, I was going for a culture victory, and I won that when Zombie was trying to go for... Uh, religious at the time and we've also played a game on stream where i'm going for a religious victory and zombies going for science we haven't officially finished that game yet but we're getting close offline and uh basically these victory types have very different conditions than they actually had in civ rev so they changed it up a lot the only one that i say they really haven't changed at all is domination you know it's pretty simple self-explanatory you just dominate yeah but before we talk about each victory type specifically, we should probably talk about some of the concepts behind what you do before you actually go for a victory type. So 
the first thing you, when you get into the game is you get a settler and you have to found your first city. So what would you suggest uh, to people when you have your settler and you're trying to found your first cities out? Um, personally, for the way I play, I like to try to find uh, maybe a coast, a, a coastal city. Because that way you yep, can get... Yep, I kind of like that too. Yeah, because that way you can get uh, some technology done quicker. Um, uh, it's like, obviously, if I just get, like, so you can get, like, boats done quicker because they get experience from obviously being near the coast. That's why I like doing it. Or next to a river is good, too. Like, fresh water oh, yeah. of some kind is good. Yeah, because you can put... Uh, yeah, because they, they, you can, your people thrive off that as well. Exactly. And, like, there's some uh, wonders in the game, for example, that you actually have to have, like, you know, buy fresh water in order to make the wonder. Yeah. So you basically found your first city, and some other things you want to look at when founding your first city is you want to look at the yields around that city. So each tile has certain yields in the game. And basically the yields that are in the game, you have production, gold, science, culture, tourism, food, and faith. So the actual tiles... The options you're going to have on the tiles is production, food, gold, and science. I don't believe you have culture on the tiles at all, right? I don't think I've ever seen a tile that has that. Okay, so so basically those are the four that you actually have on tiles. The main ones that you want for actually um, founding cities on tiles is food and production. Because the food, what happens with food is it basically gives your people food to grow, and it makes your cities bigger. And the bigger your city grows, the more it can prosper, the more it can do. So if a city has a lot of food around it, it can grow really fast. The production, that's how you make stuff. So you make buildings, you make troops, things like that. If your city has a lot of production around it, then you can make a lot of things. But the trick is you want to try and balance these. The gold in the science is nice, but that's kind of like a side bonus, I would say, and not something you should really focus on too much because you have other ways to get golden science if you really like uh for example if you're by water that's how you can get some kind of golden science going which um is nice but uh i'm sure you'd agree zombie that food and production is definitely most important yeah for me first thing you, you need to do is balance out that food and production before you even focus on going for anything right and uh there's different terrain types too which actually affect this as well so and I'm sure you could see at home, you know, you're thinking like, dang, this is already getting complicated. We're, we're barely into it. Yet. So, <laughs> this game is pretty complicated. So. Yeah. By the end of it, you'll be like, what? what? Uh, you'll be, yeah. Your head will be yeah, you're going to be like, what, what did I just listen to? Like, what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the time we're done this, you're probably going to forget the name of the game because there's so much stuff we told you. <laughs> I mean, that'll be worrying. I mean. But you gotta at least remember the name of the game. Well, every five minutes we should mention the name of the game just to make sure everyone at least understands that. <laughs> but yeah, um, basically there's different terrain types and these also affect things too. For example, uh, a forest will give you extra production, but it's harder to walk through a forest because your troops and uh, settlers, different things like that, when they move through terrain that's tougher, it reduces their movement. Hills also uh, help with production, and it also helps with building like uh, civic, you know, wonders, things like that. But it also, again, reduces movement. Uh, a plains tile will be better for food. Um, and then there's some tiles that are really bad tiles unless you're playing a certain civilization. Like for example, a tundra tile 
is horrible unless you're playing as like Russia because Russia can make use of the country. Fair enough. Yeah. Which uh, I I found that out the hard way because I made a city like around Tundra and it did not grow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I laughed. <laughs> like my little my little city is not growing. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious though. So yeah, you have to really pay attention, uh, especially your first couple cities. You know, as you build more and more cities, it's not going to matter as much. Like, um, Zombie and I kind of play differently. I like to have about, I'd say, eight to ten cities by the time I finish a game. Zombie usually sticks to about three. So, like, for me, my first, like, three or four cities are usually really good cities. You know, I build them up. I make sure they get a lot of population, things like that. Make sure they're all, you know, good. But by the time I get to, like, cities eight, like eight or ten range those cities are usually in worse terrain a little bit and they don't really grow as much but i basically use them as like uh ways to boost my victory types so like for example if i'm going for a culture victory i'll build culture things in that city even if it takes me like 30 turns to build it i'll still build it because it's still going to help towards my victory so like the city might not be the best at producing things might not be the best at growing things but, like, maybe if it's really fast at growing, I'll make a bunch of settlers there to make more cities. So, like, I still utilize the crappy cities to facilitate the wind types I'm going for. So, they might not be the best, like, overall city, but it still um, helps in some ways. But, basically, in the early game, you're going to make that first city. You're going to find, you know, what uh, tile types work best for you. And when you make your first city, it'll actually make two food and two production on that tile. So what I would suggest is don't build your first city on top of a tile that's like better than that. Like, for example, if you have a tile that, say, it has three food, I would say don't put your first city on that tile if you can help it, because then you're taking away a tile that could have got you extra food in order to reduce your food. Yes, it would give you two food and two uh, production when you build your city, but you're better off, like, say you have a tile that has one food and one production, you're better off to build your first city there because then it actually increases what is uh, yield there. Makes sense, right, Zombie? Yeah. So that's kind of building your first city and uh, tile types. Now, these yields, the other ones that we haven't mentioned, what they do is gold is used for purchasing stuff. So for gold, a lot of what you're doing with gold is you're going to rush stuff. So say uh, in your city you're building a building. Then you want the building done faster. What you can do is you can use gold to purchase this building to be done right away. Or same with a troop. If you want a troop to be uh, finished being made really quick, you can purchase the troop and then it's done automatically. So if you amass a lot of gold, you can just purchase things you want instead of waiting. Science... This gets you closer to a science victory, but not only that, it also gets you closer to technology in the tech tree that will help you advance your game in different ways. So if you're going for like a domination victory, it'll help you get better troop types. Uh, culture victory, it'll help you get you know better buildings to put in your culture. Things like that. Um, culture, basically this is the culture that your civilization has, and this is how much culture you're generating per turn. It's really good for a culture victory, but it also applies to the new civics tree, which we're going to get into later. And the new civics tree is kind of like the technology tree, except you have to use culture to get these technologies. And basically the civics tree, it gives you access to 
different um, policy cards, and these policy cards are like extra bonuses that uh, help you in the game. That's kind of what culture is. Um, it plays a little bit differently in Civ Rev, but basically it's, you know, how much culture you have in your civilization and um, how much you're generating per turn. Tourism relates to that, but tourism is more uh, geared toward the culture victory itself. Um, you correct me if I'm wrong, Zombie, but I don't think tourism really does anything at all unless you're going for culture victory. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, literally, it's just that. It's used the just so you can win a uh, culture victory. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because, I mean, you know, it, like, uh, for example, in our game we're playing right now, I'm going for religious victory. I'm technically generating, like, I think 10 tourism. And I technically have a couple of tourists coming to my cities, but it's not really doing anything for me because I'm not going for that victory thing. But it is always nice to have some tourism as a backup, maybe. But um, Zombie and I are kind of playing to restrict ourselves. We're restricting ourselves to one victory type just to kind of uh, challenge ourselves and hit that victory type. But that's another one of the um, output things you have. The last one is, of course, Faith. Faith is what you use for a religious victory, but it doesn't always have to be a religious victory because you can actually use faith to purchase uh, units and things like that. So you have apostles, you have missionaries, and we'll get to those more in the religious victory, but basically faith can be used to purchase um, some things instead of using gold or instead of uh, waiting for the production to finish. So faith um, is basically how you you know spend points that you've actually accrued in your religion to, I guess I would say, uh, advance your religious victory more. Would you say anything else about faith, Zombie? Um, faith can also, um, once you set up your religion and you choose what type of like buildings you want to build, they can also fast rush uh, build it, some building types to help uh, boost your faith as well. True, yep. Uh, but yeah, most of all, faith is just used so you can actually start a religious victory, because if you don't have faith, you can't send out your troops to actually convert cities to your religion. So basically, you're just stuck. You're just a sitting duck in the water, exactly. essentially. Yeah, pretty much. So so that's kind of, um, you know, the base core stuff about civilization before you can actually even start playing, I would say. Um, when you start a game, you obviously have the different error types I mentioned. You also have different map sizes, so if you play uh, anything from like a tiny map all the way to a huge map. And Zombie and I have played uh, once on standard, um, once on large now in our games we played on stream. But you have a bunch of different map types in there. You also have a bunch of different difficulty types too. Anything from Settler, which is the easiest difficulty, and basically playing on Settler, it gives you bonuses. And it goes all the way to Deity, and basically when you play on Deity... You get no bonuses, but the computer gets a lot of bonuses. So if you want to play at the standard level where you don't get bonuses and the computer doesn't get bonuses, that is on Prince. Prince is kind of like the standard difficulty where no one gets any bonuses. It's just, you know, play the game as is. So um, if you're brand new to Civilization, I would suggest playing um, probably at least your first game on Settler. I don't know if you agree with that, Zombie, but I think Settler will be good for your very first game, just so you can kind of get the feel of it, and then kind of work your way up to Prince, and if you want to play at a higher difficulty, go for it, but um, Prince is going to give you that base level experience. Um, yeah, I agree. Going from Settler and going upwards, I agree. Yeah, because I mean, it's a lot to take in, and 
that's why Zombie and I have played on Settler 2. Like, we've played Civ Rev a lot. We have a lot of experience with that. So we know the Civilization franchise, but this Civ 6 has so much new from the previous console uh, iteration in Civ Rev that we pretty much needed to play on Settler just to, like, understand everything. I mean, there's so much to understand that, say, just for example, we were playing the hardest difficulty. If Zombie and I were playing on Deity, we wouldn't even understand the game because the computer would destroy us so fast that we'd be like, um, wait, what happened to my settler? Oh, it's dead. Okay. Um, what happened to this? Oh, okay. <laughs> so we would get, uh, pretty much box rushed and we wouldn't even know what's hit us because, like, you really need that time to understand the game. There's so much to learn in the game that you really have to play at a difficulty that you can have time to understand the game before you move on. Yeah. So, in the early game, I know there are some things you can build early on. Uh, settlers are what you use to make cities. But there's also a couple of other, uh, I guess, units that you can build that are sort of unique and useful in early game. One of these is one that I know Zombie likes to use a lot, which is a scout. Do you want to tell people about the scout and what purpose that is? Um... The scout is basically a troop that you pretty much need to get at the start of the game, in my opinion. So you can, apart from just like the warrior that you start the game with, uh, the scout can also scout around for you, but it moves an extra turn. It moves an extra turn than the warrior does. It has like three turns unless it has to like board a river or go through like the woods, for example. But either way, a scout is good for exploring the whole map out for you quickly, so you have a lay of the land, essentially. Exactly. And what a scout can also do is find you tribal villages, which give you free bonuses and uh, tech upgrades, things like that. It can also find you barbarians, so you know where they're coming from, and also where to send your warriors to defeat them. And it can help you find other civilizations fast, and just generally explore the map, like Zombie Set, because when you start the game... The only thing you know is what's around you. That's kind of one of the cool things about Civilization is you only know what you've actually seen. So if you've never been to the right of your city, you're not going to know what's to the right of your city. Unless you make uh, an alliance like later on, which we'll get to. But you're not going to know what's to the right of your city if you never go to the right of your city. And I kind of like that about Civilization because it makes you explore if you want to find out stuff. Yeah, I like that as well. You go into the unknown, essentially. Right. I, I like it. And I don't know if there's a tech that does this in um, Civ 6, but I remember like Civilization Revolution, there was a certain tech that once you got this tech, and the whole world was automatically revealed to you, which I thought was kind of cool. Like, oh, cool. I don't have to explore anymore. It's all revealed to you. So. Yeah, I think it was like something like Satellites or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't remember. It was one of the ones in the late game, though. Yeah. Which, that's actually one comment I'll have um, on Civ 6 that I liked better in Civ Rev is... I liked how if you were the first one to research a certain technology, you got a free bonus, and you don't get that in Civ 6. Like, say I was the first worst person to research um, combustion, I would get a free tank. Like, I like how you actually got a free whatever, or like, say you're the first one to research, you know, aqueducts, I think you got um, an extra production, like every city just with that. Like, I like that kind of um, free bonus that you get, you don't get that instead of 60, if you're the first one. Yeah. You kind of, you missed that too, zombie? I, I, yeah, I missed that. Yeah, like, it, it would kind of help you, like, say, oh yeah, I'm going to rush towards this tech, I know I'm going to get this bonus, and I kind of need that bonus, so I think that would be something that um, would be kind of cool to have in Civ 6, but it is what it is. Yeah. But the other um, 
I guess, early game. It's technically not just an early game unit. It can apply in the late game, mid game too. But early game, it's definitely helpful to um, at least have one or two of these. And that is a builder. So do you want to explain what a builder does, Zombie? Um, so when you make a builder, personally, it's like the um, second thing I make after a scout. Um, what I do is I send this builder out. And what it can do is it can create farms around your city to increase its population using the food that's already on that tile. It can also go up to, say, for example, there's a stone luxury uh, item there. It's like stones are luxury item in the game. So... Yeah, you send a troop there, and it enhances that luxury item by building a stone mine using the stone that's there to up your production. And there's like many more stuff you can do because all different people have unique stuff when it comes to this um, builder. Um, and even and even later into the game, you can just build even more stuff uh, on certain lands and stuff like that. So one unique one that I know, which because I've played the Spanish, is they can build. Um, they can build monasteries um, by using a builder, and that ups their faith even more because they're built for that type of victory. So right. it's just like everyone has like different unique stuff to them. I like how they all have the unique things to them as well. So yeah, every civilization has a unique building of some type. It's not all stuff that you make with the builder. Like for example, um, Australia has an outback station, which is something you do to build with the builder. But not every civilization is specifically tied to the builder like um for example when i played as greece when you play as greece their unique building is the acropolis which is a unique district that you build on a hill so it's not always tied to the builder but some of the unique buildings are tied to the builder basically every civilization will get a unique building a unique troop um a unique ability applied to the civilization like greece for example and one unique ability applied to the leader. Like, for example, Greece has two leaders. It has Gorgo and Pericles. And each one of them has a different ability tied to that leader specifically. So, basically, there's four uh, unique things tied to each person you're playing. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. And so far, I mean, I haven't played a ton of Civ Sick, But so far, I'd say the one that um, applies the least is a unique troop. Like, the unique troop doesn't really matter as much from what I've seen so far as the other. But... So that's kind of um, some of the early game stuff. We did mention Barbarians briefly. Uh, do you want to get into Barbarians a little more, Zoppy, and you know how uh, much beneathness they are? Okay, yeah. So Barbarians in this game aren't like an afterthought uh, in this game. Like, but so basically in Civilization Revolution, uh, Barbarians are kind of like an afterthought in that. So, like, oh, you can kill them, or you can just leave them alone, and they're not really going to attack you or anything because they don't do anything else in this. But... In Civ 6, you can't treat them as an afterthought. You have to get rid of them immediately. Because if you don't, they rise up the technology the same as you do. So by the time you're at, like, mid-game, they'll have the same troops that uh, all of the Civs have mid-game. So then they become a real problem. Because it's like versus an actual Civ in the game. And they become a right nuisance because they can go onto... And I've known this from experience, it's really annoying. They can just come onto your land... And they can start just pillaging all your production, all your food crops, everything. They can pillage all your farms. And then what you'll have to do is then create a builder, stop everything that you're doing, create a builder, have that builder go out, repair it, and then do all that. But you'd have to wipe out the barbarians that are there first. Or else they'll just take your builder and just go off with it. And they just become a yep. real a real occurring nuisance. And I know both of us have experienced how annoying the barbarians can actually get. 
in this game. Yes, I, I think you experienced it a little more than I did, though. Like, in our yeah. first game, they basically, like, destroyed your main city. In first game. Yeah, in, in my game, they pillaged it that much that I couldn't get anything going in, like, the later half of the game because they came back. And they came back with my unique troop, which I didn't even know they could do. And they just pillaged all my stuff, and I couldn't get them out in time. So I was stuck there in a situation where I couldn't grow my main city to actually get out people to carry on religious victory, because I had to deal with the situation of having barbarians pillage all my stuff, and me not being able to do anything. Because I had like lack, I had a lack in production then at that point. My thing, my my whole city wasn't growing, and then people were getting annoyed at me because of it. So. Yeah, they become a real nuisance if you let them grow. Absolutely. So basically, um, try to take care of the barbarians as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. Because they kind of advance with the ages too. So if you leave them, it's not going to be fighting like a little warrior, you know, in the modern era. Like if you leave them, like say you left the barbarian village to the modern era, they're going to advance the technology too, and they're going to be a lot harder to fight. Yeah, they're going to turn up with tanks, and that's that's the thing you're not going to want to happen because you'd be screwed then. Exactly. So, make sure you uh, try to take care of them as soon as possible. Yeah, the thing but, I say um, about barbarians—they're uh, definitely harder than Sivrev. Yeah, the thing I say about barbarians is, if you leave them, that decision will come back to bite you in the ass. It will, as it as proven what happened in our game. I left them thinking they wouldn't be a problem. I even was saying this in, on stream. Oh, the barbarians aren't going to be an issue. Blah blah blah. That came to bite me right back in the ass because they. Yeah, might like I don't. I know the current game we're doing, um, I have a barbarian village technically on my island, but it's way at the top of the map, and I'm way at the bottom of the map, so I'm not that worried about it because the barbarians would have to go through three city-states to get to me first. So in that situation, maybe you know, I don't have to worry about it, but like it depends where they're located in relation to you. Like, that one barbarian village I'm talking about, it's way in the top left of my island, and my island spans the entire length of the map. So I'm not really that worried about it because... They'd have to go through three city states, and I would see them coming a mile away. So I would have time to prepare. Yeah, like fair enough. In that situation, you'd have time to prepare. But in my, in the previous game, we did the first game we did in multiplayer. I had barbarians to the top of me and to the bottom of me, and I had to rely. And literally, the only time, the only way I escaped the barbarians was I had to rely on my city state to come down and actually aid me in getting rid of them all because I was just completely like I had nothing to prepare myself with because they they got me they started coming at me right at the start of the game so i had nothing i could use to defend myself yeah this is why you have to you know watch out and uh <laughs> make sure you're prepared for fights because you know both games we played on stream so far um zombie was not prepared for a fight <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like i didn't uh, it's the other thing i didn't expect i didn't suspect other civs of like declaring a surprise war on me because it's an easy difficulty. So you just you don't underestimate people is what I'm saying because again I learnt that the hard way because I lost two of my cities to Rome because I just was caught off guard entirely. So yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, Rome basically declared a uh, the Romans declared a surprise war on Zombie in the current game we're doing, and he lost his capital and his main city besides that. So now all he has left in that current game is his weakest city. Yeah, so I've learnt my lesson well. But apart from that is, because they've declared a surprise war on me, and this gets onto all the uh, alliances you can make in the game, because they're all, they're all different, apart from... In, in Civilization Revolution, it's all different now. So you can make deals, you can make propose, like you can make, you can propose a deal, you can have people hate you, like you, I, I like become an alliance with you, so they, you can see everything they see. Um, 
and Rome doing what they did to me in declaring a surprise war would have had a major impact in their diplomatic talks with other civs because they wouldn't have been trusted and also they would have had minus effects to them for warmongering in the first place and i know a lot of civs in the game hate warmongering apart from alexander yeah alexander kind of likes that <laughs> yeah alexander loves when you go to war with people he's the only civ that likes it everybody else hates it so um basically he would have had really serious repercussions of um minus 30 or 40 to the um, relationship because he warmongered against somebody. Now, there are different ways you can go about it if you want to declare war on someone. You could declare, like, a formal war, and then there'll be no penalty, because at least you've, like, then straight up told them, I'm going to war with you, that's it. Like, fair enough. But you, if you go declare, going around the map declaring the surprise war, you, you're, what you're going to expect to happen is the rest of the civs are probably going to declare war on you, because they don't trust you. And you could also, what you can also do is um have joint wars, where you can kind of... Uh, make a deal with someone yeah. to go to war with you against somebody. I've had plenty of civs uh, make me really nice offers to go to joint war with Blaze on plenty of occasions, but I've never took it because we have a deal. Um, yeah, they've <laughs> offered that. Yeah, Blaze. Literally, one of them. I think it was Russia. They offered me one of their cities to go to war with you. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> they really wanted to go to war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I know in this recent game, the minute you jumped onto the map, the first person that came to me was uh, Ro Rome came to me immediately uh, when we had the whole like, peace thing before they declared war on me again. That's probably because that they probably declared war on me a second time because I rejected the deal. But uh, they were willing to give up all the gold reserve, which was like over like a 3,000 gold, just for me to go to a joint war with you to wipe you off the continent. <gasps> Well, what can I say? You know, my culture and religion is so great that people don't want it to exist. So. And the reason he, doesn't, he didn't like you was astonishing for me, because he didn't like you, not because you're going for a religious victory and all that stuff and all that stuff, it's because you haven't expanded in land, like you don't own a lot of land, and I was just like, what? <laughs> he owns eight cities? What are you on about? <laughs> yeah. Like, I know, you know, he did a really dirty thing to me, where he took two of my cities and then went, oh, I don't like you because you haven't expanded in land. It's like, well, you've just took two of my cities, so how can I? Like, <laughs> that was the most asshole. That was the most hilarious one, honestly. Yeah, it's just like, like you, you asshole. <laughs> he's like, you don't own a lot of land right now. Yeah. I just took two of your cities, but you don't own a lot of land. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to hate you for it. I'm just like, you, you're the one who did that. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> yeah. Well, and in my case, too, like, I'm apparently not expanding enough, yet I'm the only person that owns cities on two different islands. Like, I had to actually expand on a different island. Oh, yeah. If you were the English, they would have hated you for that, by the way. That's their really? pet peeve, yeah. Their pet peeve in it is, essentially, they will, uh, they basically hate people who settle on continents before they do. On different islands before they do. That's the English's, like, uh, thing why they hate people. Oh, sorry, England. Yeah. I know Poland's one is, if you explore more stuff, if you have better explorers than she does, she'll hate you for it. She'll be like, well, you're exploring better than me, I suggest you stop. Yeah, like each each civilization has their own different likes and dislikes based on different stuff. Um, so yes. as, I, as I've just explained, Rome don't like civs who haven't expanded out, right? Um, I know Arabia's one because um, I've played a game with Arabia. Um, on a solo, Arabia's one is if you don't have a lot of wealth, they hate you for it. So if you're poor, essentially, they hate you. Um, 
I know that the Congo and Gandhi hate you going to war, and the minute you declare warmongering, they'll denounce you almost immediately and not be friends with you at all. Um, I know that's their pet peeves. I know America's is essentially just, if you're declaring war on their home continent, they'll get really annoyed at you. So again, that factors in to what I was saying about Rome early when they basically declared a surprise war on me. Not only would they've had a, 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 not only would they have just pissed off America because they declared war on their home continent, everybody would have hit them for warmongering. And as we saw in the news um, board that we get throughout the game, the minute the turn ended after we took both of my cities, we watched as every single Sith went to Rome and denounced him one by one by one by one by one. That's how but much the of thing a consequence that I would it could say have. is stupid though is. I was trying to defend you. I go to war with Rome to try and defend you, and yet I'm warmongering. Like that should not yeah. apply. Like I'm trying to defend someone that's actually getting attacked. Like yeah, like that's like, the only thing I don't like. If you're in an alliance with somebody and they declare war on your behalf, fair enough. Like you, sh- you shouldn't have a warmongering penalty against you because you went, you wait to fight on somebody's behalf. That's the only thing I don't get with that. Right? Yeah. Like I'm basically trying to defend your last city from Rome taking it over, and. Yeah, people hate me because I'm trying to defend you. Like, um, so basically, you hate Rome for trying to attack him out of nowhere, but you hate me for trying to defend against Rome. Like, I think like, in the computer's <laughs> recognition of it, it's if you declare a surprise war, you're going to be marked down as be- declaring a surprise war and hated for it. Because most civs don't like you. Just like you're like attacking somebody from surprise. If you would have gone about it a different way, for example, declaring war in like a formal manner and just saying, oh, I'm going to war with you and alerting Rome that you were going to do it, then they wouldn't have put a warmongering penalty against you. Or if they did, it would okay. be a very light one. It'd be like oh, a minus two. Maybe that's two. how I had to do then. Yeah, it, it might have been like a minus two. It's just that the reason they would have been against you, Blaze, was because they couldn't trust that you wouldn't do a surprise war against them in the future. That's why that warmongering penalty is there. Well, don't attack me and I won't. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I don't okay, my friends. Uh, like for example, uh, I know one of um Cynthia's uh likes that she likes is um basically you not. Uh, I think it's she has two. It's you having a really good bond with her, in alliance wise, and also you not building as much wonders as she's doing. She likes, right. but obviously if you build more than her, then she'll hate you for it. She's like, what? What are you doing? Don't do that. What's wrong with you? I don't know, before we get too off track, though, um, there are some other new things in the game, and one of them we sort of tangentially mentioned on, like, our stories of the game. Um, now in the game, which were never in Civ Rev, are city-states. Do you want to mention what city-states are and what they do? Okay, so city-states are all over every single map unless you don't want them to be, right? Um, and city-states are there... For you to become allied with, in the event that no other civ wants to be allied with you. Uh, and uh, putting envoys into that city makes you their leader. Because right now, they're a leaderless city who wants some direction from somebody. Now, if you basically get them on, this, on your side, they will go to war against other civs for you. Uh, they will defend you. And what they'll also do is give you certain benefits. So, for example, one of them in there is Jerusalem. And one says that, yes, Jerusalem, right? And I know they helped me defend against the barbarians in one of my earlier stories, but they also helped me with my faith because they were giving me faith plus each turn. But 
the benefit each each benefit to a city state is different. So if you maxed out um Jerusalem, for example, they automatically convert to your civilizations as if it was your own capital city. So they'd immediately convert to your religion right off the bat, and you wouldn't have to even try to convert them over. Right. And then and other ones will give like gold, other ones give culture. So it really depends yeah, on science, the city yeah. state what kind of bonus they give. And I like how they're all color coordinated as well, which I like. So if you want to go for culture, they're marked in purple. If you want to go for science, they're marked in blue. If you want to go for faith, you're ma- they're marked in white. And if you want to go for right. gold, they're marked in yellow. I'm pretty sure. Don't count me on that one because I'm not. I'm not pretty sure on that one, but I think it's yellow. And I, there are some that give you production too. I forget what color. Oh those yeah, are. The yeah. Production and the production too. one as well. That's red. I know that one. That's red. Red. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And each one has their own benefits. So if you become friends with them, they'll give you even more benefits on top of basically being like if you are allied to a um, a normal civilization within the game, they basically wherever they explore, you get to see where they explore. But what you can also do is if you're in a dire situation and you have no military, like at my time, I couldn't because Rome very, very smartly took out my gold reserve first. They very smartly took out that so I couldn't do anything. I could levy the military of my city-state that's under my control to help... So then I take control of the military for a certain amount of turns to help defend my cities. And that's what I did with Jerusalem to try and help you. Yeah. But Rome smartly just held off and didn't do an attack until after all your troops had disappeared. And all, they all went back to right. Jerusalem's control. So they were being smart about it, which is fair enough to them. But we're playing on Settler. They shouldn't be this smart. I didn't get it. I think they were broken. I generally think they're like playing on Prince difficulty, which they shouldn't be. It's really weird. Um, Rome's just good at war, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, they might be. But it's just, it's just it, I just found it weird that basically they were playing as if we were on like deity difficulty. It was really weird. Um, but, but just a couple other things about city states quick, though. Um, there's basically different levels for different bonuses. So if you put one envoy in a city state, you get the initial bonus, which. Um, like, for example, if the faith one will give you plus two faith in every holding site or whatever. Um, if you put, I think it's three. two or three. Yeah, three is the next level. Yeah, if you put three envoys in, you'll get the next bonus. And if you are the first one to have three in there, you become the suzerain, which you get the special suzerain bonus, which is what I was talking about. That basically means you're um, the one to control the city-state. And then at six envoys, you get an extra bonus on top of that. But you actually can lose the suzerain status if somebody puts more envoys in there, which you kind of have like a sort of fight for control of the city-states um, by putting envoys in there. Like, for example, if Zombie had four envoys in Jerusalem and I put five in there, then I now control Jerusalem. So you kind of have like that sort of internal battle by putting envoys. Yeah, and that's like a really cool thing in itself because then that means you have to obviously think about each move that you're making. With this game, I love it because each choice that you make has a positive outcome and a negative outcome. That could happen. So you ally to a city-state or you control a city-state, Germany is going to be up on your ass, for example, for basically messing around with city-states, because they hate people doing that. So, right. there's always a consequence. There's always a positive thing that happens, and there's always a consequence to your actions in that game, in, in Civ Six, and I love it for that. And the envoys, you might be wondering, you know, what are envoys, how do you get them? Um, you Basically, there's policy cards that help you earn envoys faster, but 
Um, I think you always earn envoys at a certain rate per turn. Yeah, you do. Your city produces them at a certain point per turn. So uh, you're always going to earn envoys, it just takes a little while. One thing we didn't, uh, we forgot to mention as well is if you're the first person to discover that city-state, you automatically get an envoy put in there for free. Correct. Because you're the first people to find them, so they're automatically, like, leached to you. So I find that pretty cool. And another thing, too, is there's quests you can do for envoys. Um, so you can do a quest for a city-state and earn automatic envoys. Like, for example, um, one of them is, like, uh, train a horseback rider or whatever. So if you train a certain troop, then you'll get an envoy. Uh, some of them will be, like... Um, send a trade route to us. If you send a trade route to that city-state, you get an automatic envoy. So, there's ways to earn automatic envoys by uh, doing quests as well. Yeah. And the quests can be from, like, anything. It can literally just be, oh, build a district. Or build, I don't know, build something else. Or just right. let my religion... Or it might be, um, like, boosting a technology. Yeah, or like I'll, I'll get a eureka moment on a, t- a certain technology, or wheel technology, as I always get if I ever convert a science one. Which is really weird. But, yeah. So, you listening at home? Are you confused yet? Because there's more. Oh, Don't worry, uh, there's more. Yeah, yeah I, think, <laughs> I think they're already gone at this point. <laughs> We're talking about Civilization Six. if you forgot. Um, I, I know we didn't say every five minutes yet, but, you know. Just in case you forgot I, I what we're talking about. So. I wouldn't be surprised if they've not already paused this just to like comp- get them, compose themselves and get back to it. <laughs> yeah. like they just killed up in a con like, oh god, what what the hell? You, you might want to listen to this at like um, 0.5 speed instead of like, you know, regular speed. <laughs> just to slow it down a little bit. Well, no, no, I think that's a bit too far because everything would just be like, so you got city states? It's just like no. It'd be uh, zombie, worse. come on! Now, if somebody put it on point five speed, you know how slow that was. You were saying that right there. Yeah, it is that exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> no, but then it's going to be even slower when you put it on point five speed. So. No, it's not. You, you just ruined somebody's podcast now, zombie. <laughs> you, you just ruined somebody's podcast now. Now oh. they had to change the speed for that one sentence and change it back. Oh, oh no. Jeez, oh. oh, no, I'm so annoyed. Oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's kind of city-states. Uh, we went over that. So um, one thing we also mentioned a little bit that is different in Civ Six than um, Civ Revolution is there's now districts. So um, you have your cities. You can build your buildings in there. And there's some buildings that you can still build without having a district, but now there's different districts that apply to different uh, types. Like there's an industrial district, there's a commercial district, things like that. And these districts actually allow you different benefits, and they allow you to build different buildings within them. So do you want to explain um, sort of the basics of what a district is, Zombie? Okay, so districts are places that you build outside of your city so that they can provide for the city so if you for example build a campus that's going to add to your science production and you can add more buildings within these districts that provide more science to that district itself which then goes back into the actual city Uh, so whenever you build districts don't think you're building them and they're not going to not be useful because they always are going to be useful especially buildings uh, building buildings within those districts because it basically makes them better than what they already are. So you can build one for each type. So you can have one for, like, gold. Uh, you can build, like, a commercial 
uh, district. If you want culture, you can build a theater district. If you want to have faith, you build or a holy Or the Acropolis site. for Greece. Yeah, all the Acropolis for Greece, yeah, they're all different. Um, For faith, a holy site, fair enough. It, they make sense to each one that you have to build. Uh, and in, an encampment, which essentially you, within that encampment, you build a barracks. There you go, that's where you can house some of your troops. They and they have the industrial sense. one too, which gives you production. So. Yeah, exactly. Like Each one always helps you, so they, it's not a waste of time. I recommend building districts as soon as you've got enough production to build them fast enough. Don't waste your time at the start of the game building one that'll take like 19 turns to make, because you'll be wasting your time. Uh, I would say there's a caveat to that, though. If you know you're going for a certain victory type, then just let it take that amount of turns. Like, For example, if you know, okay, I'm playing this civilization... They're only good at religious victory, pretty much. I'm going to go for religious victory yeah. right from the start. Fair then, enough. okay, like, your your fourth or fifth city that you build, maybe you just start by building the holy site right away. And, like, um, for example, the current game we're in, some of my later cities I built, it said it was going to take, like, 30 turns to build the holy site. I'm like, screw it. I don't really care about building anything else. I want a holy site because I, I want that faith. So it depends if you're going for a certain victory type. But I would say your first couple of cities, like, maybe your first three cities, probably don't do that right off if you're not going for a specific type of victory. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that um, Zombie kind of glossed over is you said that you can build, you know, one of each type of district. Technically speaking, you can build a lot of them, but you can't really build one of each type because it's based on the population you have, how many you can build. Uh, you have to get to a certain amount of population in order to, like, have three districts, for example, and... I've never had more than three in a city yet, so I'm not sure if you can get to a high enough population to have more than three, but um, three is definitely like going to be around the max, probably, I'd say, because you actually actually have space for these districts, too, because each city can only farm and only operate up to three tile, three hexes away in any direction. So you only have a certain amount of tiles you can actually use, so you're going to run out of tiles eventually. So you have to kind of pick which districts you want in that city. Yeah, fair enough. It's fair enough. Yeah, you're not going to be able to build all of them because you're going to need wonders to obviously back those stuff up as well. And you gain bonuses as well for some of these districts if you uh, if you put them adjacent to your capital because they'll provide certain stuff uh, for certain civs that have that to their advantage. Um, and adjacent basically means like next to uh, next to it and all the rest of it. So don't if you, if you mean, don't get confused by like adjacent because it either means like online with it or right next to it would be fine. Right. Again, learn that one the hard way, but you know, rip me. <laughs> yeah, adjacency bonuses do help. So it is they nice do. To have those. Yeah, they definitely do. Like if you put a holy site adjacency a capital, uh, it 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 gains a hundred percent more efficient efficientness to your faith, which is really good. So yeah, but you only you obviously only have a certain amount of spaces around the capital, so exactly. that's why you kind of have to play it, you know, um, wisely which ones you want to put where. Yeah, and exactly, you got to figure out like obviously with the tiles as well, what yields are there? Like, do you really need these yields? Like, can I afford to get rid of this certain yield to put this district there? And then some of them require certain tiles too. Like for example, if you play as Greece, the Acropolis is their special. Uh, unique building which replaces the theater district so basically the acropolis is your theater district but you have to build it on a hill so if you don't have a hill within three tiles of your city or if you don't have that access to that tile yet then you can't build the acropolis so um that's one problem i ran into in our first game a little bit is i built the city but 
Um, I didn't realize that the city didn't have a hill next to it, so I couldn't build an Acropolis in the city. So you have to go build another city and waste more population. <laughs> well, no, I, I just used that city to build silos, basically. So that was oh, my, fair. you know, kind of settler silly. So yeah. and they just kept, you know, they kept reducing their own population to build those cities. So. Fair enough. Yeah, you can do stuff like that. But it was a bit cruel on the city, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I had basically Nassos, like, Nassos could never get above four population because I always just kept building settlers out of yeah. their city and I kept reducing their population. So like, they must have built like four or five settlers and so they could have technically been like a population eight. So literally, they would have, they would have like, a family would have, like, uh, they would have gave birth to a child. Bye. 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 You've <laughs> shoved them constantly out the city. <laughs> it's just like really bad. Yeah. And, and I just sent them on a bus halfway across the continent and, you know, they made a new city. Oh my god, man. Yeah, that's that, that. That that camper van is probably like the best thing I've ever witnessed. Though, for yeah, Sarah. that's cool. It's like the best thing ever. I'm gonna send her across on the camper van. I was like, "What the hell are you on about?" Looked up and saw it. I was like, "Oh, that's what you're on about—a literal caravan." Oh, and one of the districts we didn't mention too is you have uh, harbors as well. You can build harbors. Oh yeah, and that's where um, you gain off of obviously getting fish for your population and stuff like that. Um. And yeah, it, and you can uh, also build trade routes with yeah, harbor. Yeah, trade routes to other, like, commerce districts. The commerce district allows to build trade routes, too. Yeah. Um, the only thing that, obviously, um, Blaze mostly thought is that, oh, you need a harbor district to have, to be able to make boats. That's not the case. You, if you Correct. have a city next to the coast, near the open water, you can build a boat. The game isn't going to be that bad to where you have to build a harbor in order to have boats, because that'd just be unfair. So yeah, which I thought that was how it was originally. Which yeah, sucked, so. so it was like, oh, this sucks. This sucks. I was like, no, that's not how it works. Because please. basically, it's Civ Rev, like Civ Rev, you needed a certain uh, type of building in order to actually do that. So well, in Civ Rev, you all all you had to do is it's literally the same. You just had to have a uh, building next. Yeah, you need no, not building. You need to just have. The technology researched, and then be next to the ocean or any op- or any open water, and a boat would be there. So, but um, in this game, basically in Civ Rev, in order to move troops to like different islands and things, you had to put them on a boat, and then once they were in the boat, you move the boat. In Civ Six, it works very differently. Oh yeah. You have to research two technologies, so. Basically, if you research shipbuilding, then what happens is it's like you can put your troops on galleys out of nowhere. So basically, you just put your troop next to the ocean. You have it go into the ocean, and which sounds kind of weird. You're basically like, hey, jump in the ocean and drown. Like, But uh, instead of drowning, they end up jumping on a small little boat, and then you can kind of ferry them across the sea. But with shipbuilding, they can only go on coastal tiles, so it's like a galley. And it only can be on coastal tiles. If you research cartography, then that's what allows you to put them anywhere across the ocean. Yeah. It's, it's so that's a, how that works yeah. instead of six. Because all the boats have changed as well, because they're all different now. So a galley stays the exact same. Fair enough. But then you like but then you might be thinking if you've come from Zivra, oh where, where's um where's a galleon? Uh they've changed the name of it. It's a uh, a quadmia and Quadmia, Quadmire, whatever you call it, but I say Quadmia. Quagmire? Uh, may as well be Quagmire, yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. The Quagmire is something the baboons get right at the start of the game, and I'm like, this is unfair game, because we haven't even got that yet. But, okay, it's fine, yeah. it's fine, yeah. But they get them right off the bat. But they're still, Quagmires only go to coastal tiles still, so they don't act like a galleon does. 
They're still only for coastal towns only, which is really weird. But uh, you need to make a Castrol. And once you make a Castrol, that's what acts like a galleon, and then that can go across the ocean. Yeah. So. And you don't get that's them until do well later in the game. It's really weird. You can't explore the whole yeah, map so... until like the Renaissance era, to be honest, which is like mid game, which is really Pretty weird. Much. Yeah, so honestly, moving troops across oceans, though, is a little bit easier, I would say, in this game, because you don't have to put on a boat. Because um, I'm sure you experience this in Civ Rev sometimes, Zombie, where you'd have a boat, you put your troops on a boat, and then if that boat sinks, you lose all the troops. Oh, sucks. yeah. I know, I hated that. Oh, my God. I'd have, like, a cruiser, and I'd get beat by, like, a galley, and I'd be like, what the fuck? How has this happened? It's made of metal. Yeah. How did a wooden boat beat metal? Like, that's the only... I'm glad that isn't the case in this game. It goes off of, like, a major victory based on how many points it has towards it and stuff like that. I'm glad it does that. Because that makes logical sense. On Civ Rev, it made no logical sense. You could have yeah, a warrior... I mean, now that, now that, had, that you like, mentioned it, you want to talk about the combat in this game? Yeah. So, the, com so the combat in this game uh, is based off, like, how much stuff they have, like, in, like, bonuses going towards them. So, say, for example, you attack with a troop that has an attack of 20, and their defense is, like, 21, 22, 23. Uh, you're going to get a minor victory, so you're just going to do damage to each other, and it's just like, well, obviously, oh, you're you kind of a bit meh. You know what I mean? So it's not a stalemate, because if it was a stalemate, you do no damage to each other. You're just stuck at a stalemate, and everyone just backs off. It's what happens in a stalemate. But if you do have, like, a minor victory, or a minor defeat, you're, you're both going to take damage, but one uh, army will take more damage than the other. Just by slightly. If you get a major victory, you're going to take a ton of damage off of them. But if they get a major victory over you, they're going to take a ton of damage off of you. And you don't even get to take right. any health off of them. Because you essentially get dominated. Um, that goes for cities as well. Because cities in the game uh, have their own defense system. So you don't have to put troops in there anymore in order to actually defend the city like you, like you did on Sivrev. Uh, in this game, the cities already have their own automatically defense system that uses like bowmen in there to automatically defend the city for you. So you don't have to worry about barbarians coming over and immediately taking your city because they won't be able to. And they don't even attempt to. They just pillage your stuff and run off. And then if you have walls too, like you have to use um, siege technology to destroy the walls too. Yeah, like when, when they build walls, you then have to get certain troops that can um, destroy the, uh, the obviously the walls health first. And then you can attack the city's health and then take the city that way. Exactly. But, with it, but obviously as well, with this game, once you do take a city, it's not just like, oh, you took the city, everything's fine. No, you have to systematically repair everything that you destroyed in your attack. So, when you take a city, you take a capital, for example. They've built tons of districts, tons of buildings, stuff like that. You have to put, repair every single thing in order to make that city flourish again. Which I actually kind of like. I mean, it makes sense, you know, because the city's going to be sacked. So. Yeah, the, the city's going to be pretty much destroyed after you've just attacked it and took it. It won't be fine. So you have to basically rebuild the city back up to your vision. Which I find is really cool. Yeah, so that's the combat and stuff. Um, another thing we mentioned when we were talking about districts is wonders, which wasn't Civ Rev, but um, it's a little bit different in this game. You want to talk about wonders in this game? Wonders in this game are used to benefit you uh, in a lot of different ways, uh, but they can only be placed in certain places or uh, need to be away from certain districts to do so. It's like all different types of criteria that you need for them. Um, but yeah. Um, they're different because, uh, say for example, the Hanging Gardens. The Hanging Gardens is a very, very, very popular one, uh, in Civ to use. Because it gain, it gives you, like, a plus, uh, 50 to 100 percent in food production. So it's a really handy thing to have. 
Especially if you put it next to the water, because it gains more from that. Um, the only problem you'd have with it is barbarians can come over and occupy these said wonders. And then you can't use any of its um, bonuses that it gives you, because barbarians have took the whole thing over. So then you'd have to get rid of the barbarians out the actual wonder for it to actually be working again. Again, that's another annoyance with barbarians. Thank you very much. But, yeah. But they're all useful in their own way. And they're all unique. Yeah, I hate them. I don't love them. I hate them. But, yeah. You sure? Yes, I despise them. You despise them as well. You even said. But, okay. We'll carry on anyway. Um, But, yeah. Uh, Wonders are unique, obviously. It's, like, different things. And, um, everything. I'm trying to think of a word to use this for. Um, basically, there's no bad wonders. They're all very useful for you to use, no matter what it is. You've just got to have the space for it, and you've just got to make sure it's defended by putting troops in there, or else you won't gain anything from it if barbarians come over and take it. Even if you're at war with somebody, all they have to do is go in that place and pillage it, and that's it. And then you'll have to just wait until, obviously, you can get the troops out of there before you, it'll work again. Yeah, so that's kind of how that works. Um... And the Wonders, I don't think you mentioned, too, that they give tourism as well. So, basically, Wonders is another way you can get tourism a little yeah. bit. Um, it doesn't give you a ton of tourism. And uh, depending on, like, what you choose for your religious beliefs, they can actually give you faith, too. For example, um, in the religious victory I'm going for, I have a certain belief right now that every Wonder I have gives me, like, plus four faith. So, you can actually use it for faith, too. Yeah. You can use them for all different types of things, going towards every single type of different victory. Like, as I said, there are no bad wonders like there were back on Sivrev. All of them are useful in their own right to have. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some that aren't that useful still, but... Um... But they still provide something unlike certain ones from, like, Sivrev. Right. And once you build them, they can't be countered by anything. They don't become obsolete or anything like that. Which I like, yeah. That kind of sucked, like, you know, in the previous game, like, oh, well, it's now in the, you know, modern era, so this wonder is worse, you know, worthless now, so. Yeah. But at the same time, like, with, with especially with, like, Sivrev stuff, right? If you were the first one to obviously discover that technology, then it couldn't get rendered obsolete. Right. And stuff like that, so. But yeah. Um,. Like, all of them are useful. None of them can be, like, counted sort of worthless or anything like that. Just make sure they're defended, or else you'll have an issue. But apart from that, yeah. Yeah, but that's basically uh, the wonders in the game. So, have we talked about how um, we can win in every single type of victory? Uh, nope. I'm about to get to that soon, but we should probably talk about great people next. So, do you want to talk about great people and what they exactly do in this game? Because that's a little bit different than how it was in Sivrev. Yeah, uh, so great people, uh, first of all, you don't gain them after just making technologies anymore. Um, you gain great people by, um, you get these points, right? And these build up throughout the game until you max out the points that you need to actually recruit a great person. You have to recruit them this time rather than just getting them for free. You recruit every single great person and they help you in a bunch of different ways. So you recruit a great prophet. You need to ha- you need to recruit a great prophet in order to actually start a religion. So there's no question that you need a great person if you're going to go for a religious victory, because it's the only way you can kickstart your religion. And anything after that will just advance your religious uh, religious beliefs even more. So that's how they're useful because they go in different districts. Because you need 
different certain criteria to use each great person. So you want to have a great artist in there. You need to have a theatre district so they can go in there and use their craft. Um, right. You want to make um, a science person do their thing. They need to, you need to have a campus so they can go in there and obviously add to your science production. And in one case that I had, they added to my science and my faith. So they can do more than one thing. But you've just got to have the right criteria in order to use them or else they just sit in your city and you just can't use them. Yeah, like for example, uh, for going for a culture victory, what I got a lot was great writers. And great writers, what you have to have is room to store their works. So basically like writers, artists, uh, musicians, you have to have room to store their great works. And basically like um, if you build an amphitheater, for example, you could actually store uh, different works in there. You could store like some writings in there. Um, if you build like certain wonders, like the Apadana, you can build uh, extra space for great works, or you can build like an art museum. So you can build like sculptures and things like that. But certain buildings and certain wonders allow you to put different works in there, and basically you have to activate your artist or whoever you're using, and you can actually store great works in there. Now, why would you want to make great works? Well, basically this gives you extra culture and extra tourism, and the tourism is the big thing, which that is what you have to get for a culture. Yeah, and it's 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 worth like using a great person when you get them because if they get attacked, they can just be stole off of you if you're at war with somebody because they can't defend themselves. So don't go sending out great people on their own because there is a button that you can use. Well, not a button, but there is an option that you can use where you can just transfer them between all your cities. So don't go sending them out from one city to try to get them to another city because, for example, if barbarians come over, they're gonna just kill the great person. So then, is what? What have you done? Well, you just mean, wasted. Your, yeah, exactly. Well, at that point, you've just wasted your time. Then, so oh, great yeah. scientist, I want to go and put them in the other city that has a campus that needs them. They step one foot outside, the barbarian kills them. You've just wasted all of your time recruiting this great scientist because you didn't just transfer them cities. So th- th- that's my recommendation for people: don't go going the. Don't think transfer to cities is you just taking them out the city and. Like by turn by turn by turn go into another city there is an option at the bottom when you're obviously on that great person to just move cities with them and they just go there immediately so which is easier yeah yeah which is 10 times easier because you rather not have the stress of obviously oh i've got to maneuver away around these barbarians without getting the right person killed alleviate stress yeah basically each great person does something different like there's only two so far that i still don't quite know how to use which i'm not sure if you know uh, better than i do but I don't exactly know how to use great engineers or great generals yet. Um, I'm agreeing with you because I've never had either of them, so I can't really say anything. I've I've had both. I just don't understand how they work exactly yet. Like, um, my engineer, I think I somehow settled him in a city to add to production. I don't I don't even know how I did it though. I hit some button, some button did it. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. Um, the great generals, probably in <laughs> the campus. great generals. I know you can actually retire the great general. To make a certain unit automatically. Yeah. And I think somehow I got one of my great generals to lead one of my armies, but I'm not exactly sure how I did it. So, like, it's one of those things that, like, I hit a button, I'm like, eh, I think he's leading this army now. Like, I, I don't know. So, um, so it's a little bit complicated with those, I think, so far. But, um, I know you can also put your great general in your encampment district and, like, have him, like, stay there. But yeah, I don't really know what he does there. So. I think he just, I think he adds to uh, obviously the recruits that I put in there. I think he gives them like an extra boost in XP. I think when they start off. Yeah, so I mean, 
So there are some great people. We're not positive on how they work yet, but uh, basically are great people. They have to have certain conditions in order to be used in Civ 6, whereas in Civ Rev, you can basically decide how it worked in Civ Rev was pretty simple. It's like, okay, settle this person here to add one production to the city, or you can have them automatically do this. So it was really simple in Civ Rev. In Civ 6, it's not as simple. Basically, you have to have certain buildings or certain conditions in order to be able to use them. Yeah, I like that as well, because obviously it makes, instead of just like, oh, um, this person, do you want to use them with this? Yes, done. Now it's just like, well, you got to have these criteria for you to use these people, or else they're just like, well, we can't do anything. Like I just like that, because obviously, again, you have to think ahead in this game. It, it, that's how it makes it more like a, a, a strategic game because you have to think ahead rather than thinking back. Right. And then these great people, you earn them with points too. Basically, there's a, a screen on the game where you can see your points for each great person. And there's like policy cards, for example, that you can use to earn more points for like, oh, I want to earn a great uh, scientist. You put a policy card down that gives you two points for a great scientist every turn, for example. Yeah. So like, there's different things you can do to get points for each uh, great person, and then eventually earn a great person yeah. of that type. And speaking of those policies, like when uh, in order to get these policies, you have to earn uh, governments. And to earn governments, you have to go through your civics tree, which is a new tree they added. Um, um, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I yeah. want to get into the civics tree. So, um, which is a new, uh, which is a new tree they added, where basically, apart from obviously earning uh, technology, you earn civics trees, and these go towards different types of um, beliefs, they can go towards different types of governments, uh, they can go towards different types of stuff that people learn, uh, like, in order to actually st- kickstart most of your governments, in order, order to expand your more, like, thinkings of governments, um, you just make, um, so, I'm trying to remember, it's something political, um, it's like something political status, something like that, and then they get, they know more about certain governments, so then you can use these governments, um, the, uh, but your people feel enthusiastic when you go to a new government. If you go back, then you'll have anarchy and people won't do anything for three turns. Because they've already had that government before and they're bored of it. So they're gonna, there'll be a bit of riots against you for that time being. But they'll be fine with it afterwards. Yeah, well, I think to slow you down a little bit, though, um, basically the easiest way to think of the civics tree is, obviously, if you play any civilization game, you know what the tech tree is. So... We can kind of um, mention the text tree a little bit more before we go into the civics tree. But basically a text tree, if you've never played a civilization game, is this is a tree of technologies that you have to research in order to progress in the game. So, um, for instance, if you research one technology, that leads to another technology. So there's certain technologies like, say, oh, I really want to have knights. So if you want to get to knights, then you have to look at where that technology is. And then look at the technology you have to research to get that, because it's going to be locked behind several technologies you have to get to first. And one of the cool things about Civ 6 is you can actually go to a technology you want in the tree. Like, say, oh, I want this technology that's like, you know, six technologies away. And what you can do is you can actually click on that technology, and the game will just automatically research the next five technologies in order to get to that one and then that one. So basically, you can kind of pre-plan what technologies you want, like, Say, oh, I really want to rush um, cartography so I can move troops across the ocean. You can just click on cartography, and the game will automatically research all the stuff up to cartography that you need. It's locked behind. Yeah. And one of the things that's different in Civ 6 for the tech tree 
is you can actually boost technologies now. So you want to talk about how you boost technologies? How, what that is? Um, so with the tech tree, the, the way you boost technologies is by doing the criteria that's underneath each technology. For example, you boost um, the amount of time it'll take to make uh, to obviously for you to learn about uh, shipbuilding. You're next to the coast. That's that criteria. Build a city, a coastal city, and it'll boost the amount of time that it'll take to. Well, um, like obviously, basically, um, make it less time it's needed to make that technology work. And there's all different ones. Like you can build like encampments. Your military traditions is uh, improved on your civics tree because they, they they work for civics trees as well. Um, uh, you clear a barbarian outpost again. That's another way that your military tactics on a uh, on the civics tree uh, that gets boosted because you took out a barbarian outpost, so they learn more military traditions about how to do different stuff. So everything that you do in the game can boost one thing or another, and it helps you basically research these things faster, which is always useful. Exactly. So basically, boosting will get you to research things faster, which is always a plus. And you can actually boost in the civics tree too, which basically the easiest way to think of the civics tree is now that we explained the text tree a little bit, the civics tree is basically the same exact thing as a text tree, except instead of science, you earn the stuff in the civics tree with culture. So your text tree, you're using science to research that stuff. So the more science production you have per turn, the faster you research technologies. With your civics tree, you earn civics faster the more culture you have. So if you have a lot of culture per turn, you're going to earn your civics faster. And basically, like Zombie was saying, these civics give you access to different um, policies that you can actually use. So there's military policies. There are um, wildcard policies, which, you know, is your purple card. Basically, those are um, something that usually applies to the great sciences, um, great profits, different things like that. There's your diplomatic policy, which is your green cards, and then there's your, I forget what the type is called, zombie, remember, remember the yellow one? But there's a yellow policy as well. Um, uh, that's, um, I can't remember the actual name of it, but that goes towards all your cities. I think it's like the city policies, I think, or something like that. Yeah, so there, there's a yellow one as well, and basically there's these four different policy types, and each government, like Zombie said, gives you a different access to these. Like, for example, there's one government that gives you access to no military policies at all, but it gives you extra access to, like, a diplomatic policy, for example. So you have to pick what government you want based on the type of victory you might want for and things like that. So um, some of these policies are pretty powerful, too, depending on what you want to go for. Like, there's some that are really powerful for, you know, earning tourism. Uh, there's some that are really powerful for, you know, earning some extra faith or uh, extra military bonuses. So it doesn't matter what victory type you're going for. Basically, the civic tree can help you no matter what type of victory you're going for. Yeah, exactly. And again, kind of like the uh, tech tree, if you want a certain civic, like, oh, I really have to have a civic, then you can just click on that civic that's later in the tree, and it'll research all the stuff up to that. But one of the interesting things with the civic tree, too, is that is actually what gives you access to later wonders in the game. So there's certain wonders in the game that are locked behind certain civics, you have to actually know about that civic before you can build that one. So I thought that was kind of interesting, actually. Yeah, I, I like that as well. So like you highlighted something in the future, just research everything you need in order to get to that point. It's like really exactly. useful. Yeah, so that's kind of you know the basics of civics and tech tree. Um, and again, you can boost stuff in the civics tree as well. 
Uh, it's just different types of stuff, but you can still boost that and make that go faster with the texture. Yeah. But that's pretty much most of the base stuff. Now we can kind of get into um, the different victory types a little bit more. I guess we might as well start with the religious victory type, because uh, Zombie has went for that, and I'm going for it now. So, Zombie, when you do a religious victory, you obviously have to start by founding a religion. So, what? how do you do that? What's that process look like? Okay. So, first thing you need to do at the start of the game is to get, um, is obviously to gain your faith first. Um, and basically, that as that builds up and builds up and builds up, eventually your people will uh, learn their first belief. Uh, um, and that's obviously in this tree that we call uh, uh the path. I say pathogen tree, but that's not actually how you say it. It's pathogen tree. Um, because I say it wrong. Um, uh, but yeah. Uh, once you get that and you've got your first belief, it'll then tell you you need to get a great prophet. As I said earlier, you need a great prophet to actually kickstart your religion because once you put a great prophet within your holy site, which is another that's another thing you need to have built in this time that you're recruiting a. A great prophet um you will then kickstart your religion and you can name your own religion if you want to or you can use one of the existing ones but after that it's all about then just creating uh missionaries um apostles uh gurus uh inquisitors um all, all of them and they're all used to spread culture so some of them are some of them are used to obviously wipe culture from cities of your own cities, uh, defend culture against them, so your cities don't get converted from other people's religions. The way you win a religious victory is by having your culture, not your culture, your religion, sorry, uh, your religion dominate the whole map. So you ha you own more than half um, half the cities in your religion for all eight civs in the game, and that's how you win. Right. And now, if you want, if you want, now that I've said culture instead of religion, because I always get them confused. Um, if we want to move on to culture, I know you've uh, won at a culture fish before, place, so maybe you can explain what you need to do for that. Um, culture, I would say, is definitely a tough one to get. It takes a lot of effort. Basically, it's not as easy as it was in Civ Rev, for example. In Civ Rev, you get culture victory by just having enough uh, wonders and stuff, or enough great people in your cities. To be allowed to build the, uh, I think it was the World Congress at the time. You basically build this last wonder. And once you build that last wonder, you win the game. So it was pretty simple and uh, simplistic in Civ Rev. It's not as easy in Civ 6. So in Civ 6, you win a culture victory technically by tourism. So it's technically not even culture that wins you the culture victory. But culture is important in that. So basically culture, the more culture you have, it earns you more domestic tourists. Domestic tourist is like your defense for a culture victory. Now, your offense for a culture victory is tourism itself. So basically, for a culture victory, you have to have more foreign tourists than anyone else in the game has domestic tourists. So, for example, um, in the culture victory I won, I had like 240 domestic tourists. So basically, a zombie wanted to win a culture victory. He would have had to have 241 foreign tourists, which uh, I'm sure Zombie will agree would be ridiculous to have because Zombie saw how long it took me to get like 40 tourists. So. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, basically, I had to get like, uh, I think, 40 foreign tourists in order to win the game because basically the next best civilization, they had like 39 domestic tourists. 
So you have to basically just one-up the domestic tourists of your next closest rival by having more foreign tourists. And the tricky thing about this is it keeps going up because if your rival, say, at the start of the game, like, they have 10 domestic tourists, right? So, okay, at the start of the game, technically you need 11 foreign tourists to win because that's one more than their highest domestic tourists. The problem is, as their culture gets better, they start getting more domestic tourists. They start building more defense. So you have to have a higher offense to counteract their higher defense. So it's kind of a back-and-forth struggle, and Zombie can agree with this. Like, um, basically, for a while, I was like, oh, well, I'm, you know, over halfway there. I only need, you know, five more tourists to win. Oh, you know, um, never mind. They just made three more domestic tourists. So basically you have to keep um, trying to keep up with them. And essentially what you're trying to do is outpace your rivals by having more tourism to have a better tourism output. And they have uh, domestic culture input. So it's really, I probably made it sound more complicated than <laughs> it even is. But um, it, it is kind of complicated to win. Basically, what you're going to have to do is build a lot of wonders. You're going to have to get a lot of great works. You're going to have to get um, a lot of trade routes, um, use policy cards, a lot of that type of stuff. All that is stuff that you can do to build tourism. And basically, you just keep building your tourism higher. The higher you have your tourism, the more chance you're going to attract other people. And if you have trade routes to the other civilizations, that's great. The problem that um, slowed me down in our game is we were on an island with only four civilizations, and there's another island that had four civilizations, so we hadn't meet the other four civilizations till late in the game, so I couldn't actually get tourists from them because we didn't know where they were. So um, until we actually started to meet them, that's when I started to pick up a little bit. But you have to actually, you know, explore enough to have access to these other civilizations, and it's very important that you actually are in good standing with the other civilizations. So if you want to have open borders with as many as possible, because open borders increases tourism. So um, it's really something that is kind of a back and forth science. And it's weird that, you know, to think of culture victory being a science, but it, it kind of is, honestly. Like you really have to plan things out carefully and you really have to work hard at making your tourism up there like i think by the end of the game when i won my tourism was around 230 tourism per turn so you really have to get your tourism up there because each like just to put it in perspective one wonder gives you like four tourism so imagine that like one wonder gives you four tourism and i had like 230 tourism by the time i won so you really have to build up your tourism a lot which zombie will have to figure out soon that um it's tough <laughs> yeah so um zombie kind of talked about religious victory i talked about culture zombie you are going for a science victory in this current game not that you're going to get it at this point so you have one city but do you want to talk about the science victory and how that works um so a science victory is oh my god it takes a while to do a science victory more than a culture one would take uh and that's saying something um so to win a science victory, you need to do all these certain steps that they've got planned out for you beforehand. Uh, you need, um, and the game assists you through it by telling you what stuff you actually need to make. So obviously, um, first step you have to do is obviously research um, 
there's certain things, there's certain technologies that you need at the start. Uh, then you have to build like a rocket pad. You have to, you have to research like rocketry to actually build a rocket. Uh, you have to launch like different like things into space to go to like Mars, for example. And the way you enter uh, the game is successfully launch uh, people in a spaceship uh, to Mars or the Moon, for example. And that's how you win the game of science. With science. The only way you win it, though, is getting all the way to the end of the game, which takes forever to do. So, yeah. Well, not necessarily getting to the end of the game. I mean, because basically you have to research a lot of technologies that are like, the last technology you can reach. So if you have a high enough science, you could technically win the game before it gets to a certain era because you research the technology you need. To yeah, play. what I'm saying is you pretty much will probably get to like the modern era near towards the end of the game before you win a science victory because the last thing you need to research is like the second to last um, technology in order to win the game. So right, and then again, then you from that point you have to then build the spaceship. You don't have to like build these habitations to send out into space. So it isn't going to be a fast one. You have to like yeah, there's a lot of waiting. You have to play the waiting game. Honestly, um, in Civ 6, I would say none of these victory types are super fast. Apart the from one religious. You can probably, well, religion you can get fast, but um, it, it really depends on circumstances. Like, If you want to speed rush a victory, that's probably the fastest yeah. you can get. But um, even religion can take a while sometimes. Yeah, if, if you're like the second to research a religion, then it's going to probably take a while because you have to stop the other person from spreading first. Like, for example, in my situation... In the current game we're in, the reason why it's taken me longer is because I started on the island by myself, and that is a horrible way to start when you're going for religious victory. Because yeah. I have to obviously get everyone converted by religion, so I had to make my way to another island, get a foothold on the island, and then start spreading from there. So, like, I started in a really bad spot for religious victory. Yeah. I, I made it to, you know, I'm halfway there now, so I'm, I'm making it. Yeah, and also, because he started on his own island, what caused um that like obviously him not to do, be able to do this victory faster was by the time he got to the island that the rest of the people were on germany had already started spreading their religion all the way down the place so yep. it's just like that like you've got to be prepared and you got to be on your toes yeah which you mentioned uh apostles missionaries right yeah okay yeah it's basically used faith to purchase those uh troops and you can actually have theological combat, which can actually help spread your religion faster. Because if you win theological combat, then any city within 10 tiles of that battle actually gets um, a spread of your religion, which is kind of cool. So essentially, uh, Apostle troops are the ones that are aggressive, and they can take out other religious troops, is what theological combat right. is. It's essentially battling with actual troops only. It's just a bunch it's of... It's not uh, only them, though. Um, I think there's there's one, a guru, I think is a defensive uh, troop they can fight. And it then can I think only, there's, um... It only attacks when attacked itself. It can't attack other troops. Guru. Okay, but there's also the other one, I think it's Inquisitor. Yeah. That, that can, um, that can attack try to take a... Yeah, that can attack too. Yeah. Uh, con uh, a Conquistador for the Spanish, which is a unique troop from them, can also go around not attacking people, but they spread their religion by attacking um, groups that basically uh, aren't with their religion, and if they take a capital... Or they take a city that automatically converts to your religion, and that's why the Spanish really should dominate religious victory. Only I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Most of it, anyway. So, <laughs> right. And plus, I wasn't the first one to actually make a religious victory. It was Russia. So I was already behind, thanks to the barbarians. 
Hate this. Yeah, so that's two of the victory types there. Three. And then zombie, yeah, zombie mentioned the science one. So the domination one is probably the most straightforward. It is, yeah. Basically, to win a domination victory, you have to capture, you have to capture the capital of every civilization in the game. So just capture their capital. That's it. And then you win. Yeah. I so keep, I, it, capture capsule, keep hold of it. That's it done. Yep. You win. Which it, it sounds easier than it actually is because. Um, in Civ 6, you're going to have, you know, like eight civilizations in the game. So yeah. you have to capture seven capitals instead of four. Um, and basically you're going to have to have a really good military to do that. Um, I haven't tried to get a domination victory yet, but you'd have to have a really good military in order to, uh, power through that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then there is another way you can win and it's not yes, an actual, which is DLC. um, no, because you forgot to mention one more. Oh, right, right. So, basically, yeah. by some miracle, you get all the way to the end of the game, which probably takes about 12 hours or more, right? And nobody's got a victory. The, the game determines this by a score victory, and you just gain that by doing stuff throughout the game. Either going towards a victory, or taking cities and stuff like that, or go, or go towards a score victory. And whoever's at the top at the end... Of that score victory, by the time you get to the end of the game, and whoever's at the top of the score victory wins by those amount of points. There isn't a game where it could just tie. There, has, there always is going to be a winner at the end of the game. Right. And that's even good as well for people that might not be going for any... Like, people, for example, people might be screwed on victories, right? And say, for example, in my game, uh, where Blaze ended up winning culture, if he hadn't have gotten to that point, and we got into the end of the game... I could have had a chance to maybe win in score victory where maybe I would have been screwed at the start of the game. I just somehow come back and win in score victory. It gives everybody a chance to still win the game instead of like doubting themselves. Except in that particular game though, I was dominating score victory as well because I had all these wonders and this stuff built and you had like nothing built. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, but I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, I I get you. Like people who basically are like who have got beaten down for like the whole game could still come back and win it at the end. Right. Like it's anybody's game until the end. So, oh, until you wipe them out, and then they can't win it all, then. Yeah, so that's that's the five victory types you can have in the base game. But in the DLC, which we're not going to talk a ton about the DLC today, but we do want to mention that it exists. Um, in the DLC, there is another victory type, so um, maybe not as in-depth, but do you want to briefly mention how you get this other DLC victory? So, for the other DLC victory, uh, it's called a diplomatic victory. And essentially what you have to do, I'll put it in basics so I don't have to explain the whole thing because we'll save that for another time. Um, put it in basics terms. Uh, gain enough uh, reputation with uh, other countries uh, to get your way up of, uh, up Congress's uh, scale of diplomatic stuff until you become the leader of Congress. And that's how you win the game. With uh, diplomatic, which takes a while. But yeah. Yeah, so kind of like we were saying... Basically, every victory takes a while. Um, religious is the one that you can maybe get done fast, but Civ Six is not a game you're going to win quickly, pretty much. Exactly. Unless, you know, winning to you is just like, oh, I did enough, I'm going to quit the game. Yeah. <laughs> if that's winning to you, then I guess maybe. Again, again, <laughs> what's, what's really good about score victory being there is if you have to end the game early, right? And say, for example, you don't want to save the game, you want to start something, you want to start a new game, for example. You could just go off of what scores currently are on the board and then just be like, oh, well, they won. by score victory. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like that's easy. Instead of having to go, oh, well, nobody wins because I've exited the game. No. 
you can literally just go, well, we can just look at the scores. Oh, for example, if we if, if we started a new game, for example, um, Blaze, right? And then we had bad stuff. We, we got about halfway through the game and we both didn't want to play that game anymore because it, we were both doing bad. We both wanted to restart. Uh, before we right. restart, we just go to the score victory. Oh, Blaze is at the top by like a point. He wins. He wins this particular game. Exactly. So. That, that, that's how it works. Or maybe I'm a point ahead of Blaze. I win the game. Like, that that's why it's so handy to have that score victory there and to have points. So Absolutely. It's very useful. And I like that. But um speaking of this DLC, not you know, too much details about it, but do you want to mention the two DLCs that are available and um just some of the very, very basics of what they offer that's different. Okay. So the first one is uh, Rise and Fall. And Rise and Fall is basically the new things that get added is basically a new advanced um allegiance system based on alliances um another thing that gets added is a loyalty system where if you don't treat your uh, people right they can become a free city and rebel against you becoming their own free city for anyone to take um you're all, you're also your troops or oh, not your troops but uh your cities uh, based off of how many points you get in a certain era because the game will tell you how many error uh, item turns until the era ends um determines if you go into a dark age where people are like really down downbeated and you have to like build your way back up but if you basically get exceed the amount of points needed to um get into a golden age then you'll prosper in the next age so it's always that like thing about rise and fall is essentially that's in the name so you may have a golden age one ever dark age another golden dark and it's just like that throughout that whole game gathering the storm that's where your diplomatic victory gets introduced. And it's also where natural disasters come into play and can start purging all your cities. Uh, for example, volcanoes. Um, volcanoes can be bad and good at the same time. Uh, not all, they can, they can, volcanoes, for example, can produce food. But they can also spill lava into your city and destroy tiles. So it's if you take the risk. Uh, all these add new sieves to them as well. Uh, they add on to the, obviously the base game. Um, with all the unique different stuff. Um, but a lot of the system carries over into Gathering the Storm as well. But that pretty much sums that sums up all the different new stuff that got added with that. Yes, I mean it sounds pretty interesting. Um, which I don't know if you mentioned this in your uh, spiel there. Did you mention the whole governors thing? Too? Oh, I, that's the one thing. Okay, I haven't actually experienced the stuff with the governors, but governors are brought in. Okay. Uh, essentially, like a great person. Just to lift the spirits of a city or help them prosper. And you use these, obviously, get to, to get to different ages. So, like, if you have a governor, they could help you get into a golden age or a dark age or whatever. I mean, not help you get into a dark age, but you could still end up in a dark age, but the governor would basically help you out in getting out of it. Right. Because, it, so basically, to get into each one, so you have a dark age. You'll stay in dark age until you get about halfway. Once you hit halfway, you'll be in a normal age, right? And then if you exceed that, You'll end, uh, you exceed that and get the amount of points needed to fill your bar, you'll end up in a golden age where you'll prosper and gain bonuses. And these governors help towards them by you giving them certain bonuses that they need to obviously help improve the city. Yes, I mean, it sounds pretty interesting to me. Um, I haven't tried it this yet because I don't have the DLC yet, but from what you've seen so far, Zombie, do you like the DLC content? Yeah, it's worth it. So there you have it. Uh, Zombie says it's worth it. So, so I mean, that's kind of... um the dlc stuff and honestly zombie um you know if anyone's still listening at this point i think we've basically covered um 
an introduction to the game. So. Yeah, a very in-depth <laughs> one. To the base game, anyway. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, don't worry, there, there's more to learn in the DLC, and there, yeah. there's more advanced stuff, too, that we haven't covered. So, oh, jeez, yeah. You know, this is just the basics, I mean, so, you know, not much to learn at all, right? You sure? I, I, think, I think some of them might have already, like, you know... They they probably paused this about like five times just trying to collect the thoughts. <laughs> exactly. So this is Civilization Six, by the way. You haven't uh, gone to different podcasts yet. It's still the same podcast. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about some like <laughs> political agenda or whatever. Still same game. <laughs> I mean, one thing we can mention briefly, briefly, but uh, we didn't mention before is there are scenarios in the game too where basically. Um, I don't know if it's anything like Civ Rev, but in Civ Rev, it's basically where you start at a certain point in the game, and you have to carry out a certain scenario. Yes. Uh, is that kind of how it works in this yes, game? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, one I can mention is the DLC one uh, that I've started playing, and it's the when um, the Black Death came across uh, Britain, Spain, France, and most of Europe. And essentially, you play a normal game, not with leaders from the base game, but these different leaders that get put in, right? And the aim of it is basically to see your uh, people through to through the plague into well through the whole like uh, dark uh, the, the the black death that plagues the whole of Europe. Uh, it's, it's for you to see through either by winning in culture or a science victory because you start in the Renaissance era. Fair enough. Yeah, and when this black death does come across, it basically plagues your tiles for a certain amount of turns, but you can get. Um, plague bearers to come out and stop all that from happening. Or plague doctors, sorry, that's what they call not plague bearers. Plague doctors. Yes, I mean, um, there's different scenarios in the base game as well. I haven't tried it yet, but um, one that I definitely want to try at some point is there's a scenario with Alexander the Great where you can kind of um, conquer, you know, all the world pretty much. So it sounds kind of cool. So yeah, with that one, that, one that one it's timed. That one is time-based. Based on the difficulty. Okay. So you pick Settler, you've got 60 turns to dominate the world. Wow. That's the stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. But yeah, um, that's pretty much the main gist of everything. Do you think there's anything that um you want to mention that we haven't mentioned for the basics of Civilization Six? Um, I think we covered everything. Yeah, it only took us two hours to cover you know Civilization Six basics. So you know, imagine <laughs> how like uh, advanced tactics would take. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> oh no! See now you're even rattling my head. Stop it. <laughs> So hopefully this was a good enough introduction to everyone that um you kind of after listening to this podcast you understand at least like what you're getting into you know kind of what the game offers um it's honestly a really fun game it just takes a lot to learn which I think you know is apparent by how long we've been talking about this but it, it is a really fun game and I really enjoy it if you're really a strategy aficionado, then you're definitely going to like this game, i say. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. But we do appreciate you listening. Um, if you want another later listen, then we are available on many different podcasting platforms. You can find us on Google Podcasts, iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, Blueberry, Podbean, many of the directories. If you just search into your search bar, the Blaze Experience, you can find us somewhere in there. And also, if you join my Discord, if you don't want to have apps, then in my Discord, there's a direct download links channel, which gives you direct access to any podcast we've done before. All you have to do is click on the episode you want to listen to, and you can download the episode directly without having a, another app on your device. And just to reiterate our news from the top of the show really fast... 
Um, our next podcast, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do yet, but um, I have some ideas for that. So stay tuned for our next stream. Our next stream is going to be Sunday, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern, playing some Dead by Daylight. Uh, there's a new killer out, so we're going to you know try and face that killer, see what happens. We're also going to play Dead by Daylight Monday and Tuesday. So it's going to be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern on Mixer.com slash Blaze Experience, playing Dead by Daylight. And then on Friday, we're actually going to play Friday the 13th, the game, because it is on Friday the 13th. So I figured, you know, why not? That's going to be my first time trying it. We're going to play that from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern. And uh, hopefully we'll have some fun with that as well. And if you want to find me, you can find me and contact me via email, blazeexperience at gmail.com. You can contact me on Discord, which will be in the show notes. I'm on Facebook and YouTube as well, but I don't use those as often. You can contact me via Twitter or my Xbox Lab Gamer Tag at Blaze Experience. It's capital B L A I S E, capital X P E R I N C E. So those are the main ways to contact me if you want to do so. I'd say probably Discord or um, Twitter is probably the fastest way to get a hold of me. And then maybe my Xbox Gamer Tag is also a decent way to get a hold of me. Email works as well. Um, not a lot of people use the email option anymore, but if you want to email me as well, I will get back to that too. So those are some of the main ways to get a hold of me. Zombie, how can people get a hold of you? Well, uh, they can find me in um, the Discord at uh, Zombie Club Armor. Um, if you message me in there, I'll get back to you. If you at me, I'll get back to you, obviously. But if I see it in there, obviously we'll respond. I won't ignore you. Um, you can also obviously see me on the stream pretty much all the time. So, yeah, you can uh, talk to me there as well. Yeah, I think Zombie's only missed like one stream in the past, like, several months and yeah that's because you had a rehearsal so yeah so yeah you can uh, find zombie in basically any stream or in the discord uh do you have any final thoughts about civ 6 before we get off here um i enjoyed it and it's Closing it's thoughts? worth to, it's worth to definitely play if you uh, love strategic games definitely yeah i agree i mean I, I really love the game i had a lot of fun with it and i would definitely recommend it if you like any kind of uh strategy or uh, especially turn-based strategy too so but a lot of fun. Definitely one of my favorite games I've played for the year. But if you want to take a look at it, we also have a Patreon as well. Our Patreon is going to be patreon.com slash blazeexperience. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash blazeexperience. And Patreon is a way to give back to content creators. So if you enjoy the content we're creating here and you want to take a look at that, there are some bonus rewards you get there. So definitely take a, a peek at that if you want to check that out. But that's going to do it for us today. So, Zombie, thank you for being here. Yeah, no problem. And we will see you again next time you're on. But we thank you as well for listening. So thank you for listening to the Blaze Group.